Hey, this is Kevin O'Connor. On today's episode of The Mismatch, Chris Vernon and I discussed the latest trade and free agent and draft rumors. And we talked a lot about LaMelo Ball, Patrick Williams, and Tyrell Terry. All that next. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or... Standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. And joining me as he does every Tuesday from the Ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, aka Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Connor, Kevin O'Climber. Kevin O'Candyland. Kevin O'Kindness. Kevin oh We got NBA coming back soon, baby. Woo! We do have the NBA coming back soon. And there are going to be, there has been a lot of news in the last couple of days. Uh, not the least of which was we got a date for free agency, which will start two days after the NBA draft. And so on today's show, we will talk a lot of offseason. We're going to talk about uh, the draft. We'll talk about that upcoming free agency and maybe some trade possibilities. But first things first, just the details of how this thing is going to play out. Adrian Wojnarowski reported last night that the NBA has now kind of put together a framework for the way this is going to work. So walk me through it. So on November 16th, next Monday, the trade moratorium ends, which means deals will be able to happen. That's two days before the draft on the 18th. And then on the 20th, free agency begins at 6 p.m. And players will be allowed to sign at 12.01 p.m. So next week is going to be insane with trades, with the draft, with free agency, it's all going to happen quickly with only like 10 days to spare before training camp on December 1st. And one thing to note with the report last night in the league and the union, both also issued a press release about this, that the cap will stay at 109.1 million. The luxury tax will stay at $132.6 million, which means the mid-level and the biannual exception amounts will stay the same. The mid-level will be worth about $9.3 million, which means some of those teams that are over the cap could have the opportunity to contend with teams for some of the players that are in that sort of middle range, a Jeremy Grant, a Christian Wood type of guy. And they're, they're, they're alleviating some of the luxury tax burden, which is going to help a team like the Warriors because of the financial impact of coronavirus. And just one other thing, the cap will increase by a minimum of 3% per year and a maximum of 10% per year through the rest of the current CBA, which means next season, and this is important because Giannis and all these stars, Rudy Gobert are going to be a free agent next year. The cap will be at least $112.4 million with a maximum of $120 million. And that means a team like the Heat or even Dallas can pretty easily create max cap space to make a run at Giannis Antetokounmpo. So we learned a lot in the last 24 hours. And this next week, I mean, <laughs> it's going to be a wild ride, Chris. Wild. Okay, so as I followed that timeline and everything that's going to take place and this moratorium ending for trades prior to the draft, given that we have such a small amount of time to build your team prior to a training camp beginning because we're talking about less than a two week span from the time the draft ends really 10 days or so 
from when free agency, when you could sign something for that. Okay, give, uh, so you don't have this much time. Does this, in your mind, mean that we will, in fact, see a flood of trades come in prior to the NBA draft? Because if you are going to be wheeling and dealing for the draft, the upcoming draft, then you might get those done. But beyond that, even outside the draft, just in terms of team building, that if you're going to make a trade, you go ahead and make that trade, and then you have the draft, and then you have free agency, and now I have my roster put together. And so if I'm gonna if I, if I'm gonna make this deal, right? Like to me, if there's a trade for a point guard or a power forward out there, and the best available player, and I've got a top pick, is a point guard or a power forward, that obviously informs my decision making going into the draft. And so do you sense that there could be a huge flurry of trades even in those few days before we get to the Wednesday draft? It's possible. I mean, there's a lot of conversations happening right now, both for free agents, you know, with teams, you know, tampering, whatever it is. It's understandable, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with everything that's happening. And there's, you know, potentially minor trades that we could see happen as well. And who knows with major trades, you know, there's the rumor about, you know, Daryl Morey wanting James Harden and, you know, I would highly doubt Houston would trade James Harden, but it is interesting. The last 24 hours, I did have multiple sources that I trust tell me that teams believe Russell Westbrook could be had that Westbrook <laughs> could be had. And I've heard the Clippers have interest. I've heard the Knicks have interest in Westbrook and whether anything materializes there. Who knows? Who knows? But the fact is, is that there is a belief that a guy like Westbrook could become available. And I wouldn't be shocked if over the next week we hear more names that kind of come out of nowhere because this is a wacky year, man. Some teams are trying to cut costs. Some teams are willing to make big moves, you know, that they otherwise maybe wouldn't have tried to make because it's a weak free agent class. This is your way to get a star player and trying to make a run here. But we're going to see a lot of rumors over this next week with the draft, with trades, and with free agency and Westbrook being one of the big, the, the biggest name that I've heard the last yeah, 24 I'm not, hours. I'm not letting you gloss over this. Russell Westbrook being on the move. Okay. It's a million things that run through my mind. <laughs> the first of which is, wow, after one year, right? And <laughs> and they just did it with Chris Paul. Like he wanted out the year before. Obviously, you had the Dwight Howard experiment. I mean, this is going to be, I don't know how many superstar teammates James Harden needs to have that run away from him. <laughs> um, but now Russell Westbrook, the whole idea that he can be had out there, this is this is something that is insanely intriguing. And regarding teams, you said Clippers maybe? And Knicks maybe. Knicks makes sense. Clippers are a little bit of a weirder fit there because he, he, it's one or the other. It's either you're trading a whole bunch of salaries, you know, Beverly, Zubots, Landry Shamit, or you're trading Paul George. <laughs> How about for Paul George? They can all just play musical chairs. <laughs> and, and you know what? Like, I mean, who knows if anything happens there, but the fact is, is that we're going to get a lot of this over this next week about tra players who could be available. And by the way, for Houston, losing Daryl Morey, you know, some of the dysfunction there, you know, some of the, you know, changing head coach, you know, for Tita being the owner that he is. It's understandable, perhaps, if they want to make a move there and split that up. But if they were to trade Westbrook, who James Harden wanted to play with, I'm not sure how well that would go, go over with Harden. Okay, but you're saying that Westbrook has interest in maybe getting out of there, right? In terms of what you've heard? More so that teams believe that he can be had. As for Westbrook... I mean, who knows? He's okay. an LA, he, he's a California guy. Maybe he wants to go to a bigger market, but I don't know that for sure. But it, teams believe he can be had. Okay. So this clearly is a massive deal that could happen. And, man, usually when there's smoke, there's fire on something like that. If somebody's told you that, Kevin, and obviously you've sourced this with people, if somebody's told you that, and that word is going around, it's hard to imagine going into another season with those two and everything yeah. just being fine. It just is. Conversations happen, out there. though. Yeah, but Co that conversation, I mean, so let, who let's look at this way, to? though. Who does that happen to? Conversations you happen, though, all the time. Like, you, like, like I said, Daryl Morey, there's a report he wants James Harden. 
Of course he wants James Harden. I'm sure he made an offer. But that's but different. I, but I'm sure he made an offer for James Harden, too. Is that going to hurt Ben Simmons if he no. was offered for James Harden? No. Probably that's, not. It's different if you're saying the, the that it's framed as he can be had. It is a big story if somebody says Ben Simmons can be had. It is a big story <laughs> if they say Paul George can be had. If It is a big story because that means the team. That means the team is out there floating that around. And if we know that ahead of time, then that's what I say. It's hard to believe. They're obviously not enthused about running it back with those two. For whatever reason, if that's out there, if there are people that say that, but if there's people that say he can be had, that is a big deal because what that means is Houston isn't exactly enthralled with running it back. It is a big deal. And, you know, with Houston, you can understand why. After everything went wrong in the playoffs, after Westbrook wasn't defended in the half court when he didn't have the ball in his hands, and maybe that there's a better fit with Harden to maximize the years that you have with him. Pulling the plug sooner rather than later can sometimes be the best choice that a team can make. You know that I'm not the biggest Westbrook fan. If I'm the Clippers, I would not trade for Russell Westbrook, and I definitely wouldn't trade Paul. You know, I wouldn't trade any stars for Westbrook, but I but I understand the appeal there. You know, for a team that does need some shot creation, does need a guy who can create for you, and Westbrook can bring that at a high level as a playmaker. In fairness. You now are the best friend of the guy who's been divorced three different times, and you say he picks bad chicks every time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at some point, it's your buddy's fault, Kev. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's on his fourth. He's on his fourth, and they all want out. Something, he, something is awry. Maybe he's just poor at choosing his partners. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, but he'll have it now. He can uh, maybe, maybe marriage number four. Hell, it took what? Like Larry King got married like seven times or something, right? So, hey, you never hey, Larry know. King, Larry King's still a legend. James Harden's still a legend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've got that whole trade stuff that is. At least we, we don't know. There could be a huge flurry leading up to the draft. And. Given that this draft is not one that so many teams are intensely married to players or even their pick slot in this draft, um, there could be a lot of action in this draft, right? Because it's not like, hey, we pretty well know who the top five players are going to be. I, I would tell you this. Right now, and I know there's a lot of people that believe that there's the top three that are behind you actually in your in your Zoom background, those three guys are three. But I will tell you, Kev, I'd give pretty long odds to somebody to pick the top five correctly. And I'm not talking teams and who they pick. I'm talking just who are the five players that go off the board one through five. And so that, to me, tells me how crazy that draft could be, too. If you can't even properly predict who's going to go one through five, at least the players in some order, then that makes it a lot more difficult. I mean, you think about last year, there was no question. We knew Zion Williamson, John Morant, R.J. Barrett, that those guys were going where they were going, right? And, and it might be so that the top three is the top three this year, but everything seems to be wild behind it. But I want to start regarding the draft with that top three. So... I felt like Jonathan Gavoni took shots at you and Ryan Rosillo yesterday. <laughs> I really did. When I listened to it, I was like, damn, man. Um, you know, look, anybody, if people can say whatever they want to say, but he said, I don't get all the LaMelo stuff, basically accusing, uh, you know, the idea that, because you guys were both out there pretty, I mean, you were on videos and that were passed around the internet that went viral saying that you're hearing LaMelo could drop that some teams don't love LaMelo. Ryan went as far to, I mean, he's out on LaMelo. Simmons piled on. Simmons doesn't like him either. And so then I think Gavoni then responded while he was on with Zach Lowe by saying, I don't know where this is coming from. It sounds like guys that are outside of the top 10, teams that are outside the top 10 are the kind that are saying this kind of stuff, but teams within the top 10, they're super excited about LaMelo Ball, um, despite what I think he said, part-time draft expert or whatever, a part-timer. I've always thought you were a full-timer, Kevin. <laughs> but anyways, um, 
I don't know. He he cared a little too much about Lamelo Ball, in my in my opinion. But whatever. It, they, I, I get I get defending your work and having him number one on the board and and saying that. But what do you make of that? Because you came on here, you know, when we did the show a couple of weeks ago, and said you were hearing that there's some teams that aren't into Lamelo and that he could be a dropper. For what it's worth, Gavoni's report on ESPN was that he's hearing that teams are operating as if LaMelo will be will be the number one pick. Yeah. And last week, Russillo and I and others reported that he could potentially slip. And, you know, Gavoni's awesome what he does. I respect his hustle and his work ethic. But in this case, I just think our sources are saying different things. With LaMelo Ball, you know, maybe he does go number one. There's a chance of that. With Minnesota, there's a lack of clarity with who they're going to select. There's a lot of noise out there. I've heard there's some noise that they could take Wiseman and trade him. There's some noise that they could take LaMelo and trade him. There's some noise that Anthony Edwards doesn't want to go there. So who knows what Minnesota is going to do exactly. It's hard to predict the draft, and we don't know which teams are going to be picking where. And in this case, I called over 15 people yesterday after that report came out because I want to make sure I get this as right as I can when there's so much uncertainty around the draft. And all of them, every single one of them, said the same thing. We're not operating like we know where Lamelo's going to go because they don't know who's going to take who's going to have the number one pick. Minnesota could trade that. And they said, yeah, with Lamelo, there's a chance that he could slip. How far? I don't think Lamelo would fall far here. I think Chicago, if he were there at number four, I would be willing to bet that the Chicago Bulls would take Lamelo ball with that fourth pick. But we'll see what happens on draft night, man. This is very, very well, fluid. Well, if you're, if you're and, betting and on Chicago, that's though, that's not dropping. That's not, that's I don't, not. see, that's, I mean, I don't, that's like slipping. You know, it's a little slip, but you, you don't fall on the ground here. It's a little well, slip to number four. But it, 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 and by the way, that might be the best fit for him, Chicago. I'm just gonna, look, I'm just giving my opinion on this. I appreciate anybody that is willing to go to the wall for somebody. I just, I, listening to it, to me, and this is just my opinion. I found it strange to go so hard for LaMelo. Like, I got it with Luka, but this guy is not, like, we're not talking about Derrick Rose here. We're not talking about, you know, uh, somebody that's like Zion Williamson, right? That's not LaMelo. And then, like, I felt like, I don't know. I, I It just, it came, it came off strange to me because it was like, this is without question, and there's a lot of teams that love him, and I don't trust Anthony Edwards, and I don't like James Wiseman. I wouldn't take him either, and I was like, well, what the hell? Like, what is going on here? Like, it all it, it was just felt all in on LaMelo, and so I don't know if that was a reaction to the reaction or if he really loves LaMelo that much, or I don't know. It was just, it just, it just came off as odd to me I, as someone listening because sure. I, I had never heard anybody go so hard for LaMelo. They, I mean, that could be it. There's quite a lot, you know, floating out there. And with LaMelo, it's the type of thing where, like, the talent is unquestionable. I mean, he's an unbelievable playmaker. He's, uh, he's so fun to watch. Like, that. remember that move during the season, the double spin move with the behind-the-back pass? It's yeah. fun. It's great. And the playmaking's there. But there are legitimate questions about the jump shot, shot in the 20%. He had a low free-throw shooting percentage in the low 70s. His decision-making and shot selection are not great. His defensive energy and effort and focus are all question marks. And with LaMelo, maybe over time as he continues to mature, like I said last week, I don't think LaMelo's gotten enough credit for going to Lithuania as a 15-year-old and getting better, going to Australia and getting better. He deserves a lot of credit for that. And it it does show maturity. It also shows what a screwed-up deal he got. And to me, uh, like... we could act like the dad's not on freaking first take and on uh, you speak first or whatever hell show is on in the morning. Like he is, and his dad will run 10 miles to find a microphone and <laughs> your dad being something yeah. a team thinks of as they have to deal with rather than being an asset for you is a thing. It just is. I don't, I, I don't know why everybody pussyfoots around this. It just is. I've been around so many prospects over the last 20 years. I've been around everybody from OJ Mayo to now John Morant and, and, and Mike Conley. And I've seen, I've seen Mike Conley's family move to town and be around him and be just this absolute backbone when adversity hit. And you had guys like me on the radio saying we should get rid of this guy. 
Like he had that kind of structure and he had that kind of great leadership that he could fall back on. I see it all the time with John Morant and with Jaron Jackson. That's why I bet on these guys so much because I see, and then I see other guys that move in and they got a house with six of their homies from college or they don't have that kind of family structure. And when things go wrong, they don't have something to fall back on. And we can act like that's not a thing. We can act like they don't have an effing reality show, but they do. <laughs> You're drafting like a Kardashian. Like it's, <laughs> it is what it is. You're going to be on uh, there, your, his plight on your team is going to be documented outside of your team. Whether you like it or not, like that's happening. And so why are we acting like that's not a thing with him? Like that to me is the thing that worries me the most. <laughs> it is. He's on a reality show every week. <laughs> like they're talking and his dad will, you never know if you're going to wake up in the morning and the dad's going to be on the, on first take saying the coach is a dickhead. Like, what are we talking about here? I'm sorry for my rant, but like, are we going to just act like that's not part of this story? I mean, Chris, along those lines, there are people in the league who believe LaMelo. I mean, I know this is going to pick up, but some people believe with the, the stories about the poor interviews that he's had. Some people believe like those interviews have been so bad that he's tanking to try to get to the Knicks. Yes. And, <laughs> and I, you've heard that as well. When, about, you, know, about, when you, know, you told me about interviews, look now, I watched Hubie Brown screamed at Dwayne Wade during a workout. I saw James Harden tank a workout. I saw uh, Paul George tank a workout. I've seen all manner of players that just said, look. So you've seen this in the past then. Hell yeah, the Grizzlies were the worst team in the league. They won 20 games. They had they had drafted Mike Conley. Point guards don't want to go there. Steph Curry, how about this? The year they had, they took stupid to beat. Steph Curry didn't even come to work out. <laughs> you're, you're still so sour about that pick. <laughs> but no, no lie. Steph Curry did not work out for the team. Wow. At all. His dad knew. I mean, like they had just drafted, you know, they have, they have Mike Conley. They have OJ Mayo. They have Rudy Gay. Like, and it's like, okay, the team stinks. The owner doesn't spend any money. And I don't want, I want to steer my kid somewhere else that maybe he might play a game that has a camera on it. Because yeah. at that point, nobody like the Grizzlies. You would, if you watch Sports Center, you wouldn't even know they existed unless the Lakers kicked their ass. <laughs> I mean, that's no, just the reality. Uh, yeah, for sure. Player, and, players and, do this all the time. Yeah, and and like that's why, like when I say that, I know it'll get picked up because it's Lamelo. But the truth is, is that that's nothing unusual. And and with Lamelo, it's the type of thing where New York would be great for him. They're a team. They're a clean slate. They need a point guard, put him next to RJ Barrett, and maybe they add a star through trade or for agency over the next year. They could be a winning team pretty soon. That would be great for LaMelo. And, you know, we'll see where he goes on draft night. But from everybody I talk to, and I trust my sources, who knows where he's going to go? It could be one. Maybe Minnesota makes a trade. It could be number four to Chicago. We'll see what happens. Or maybe he slips past there because Chicago does also like Patrick Williams. They like Danny Avdia. And I can't imagine LaMelo would want to go to Cleveland, and I'm not sure how Cleveland would make it work with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland <laughs> and LaMelo Ball. You got to explain to me this Patrick Williams thing. So Patrick Williams, yeah. Florida freshman, Florida State freshman, came off the bench. He was their sixth man, really great team in the ACC. You look at the numbers, 22 minutes per game, nine points per game, and you think, you're talking about this guy as a lottery pick. Be serious. But... With his size, six foot eight, with his frame and NBA body, NBA length, and with his style of play, he Charks wrote a great feature about Patrick Williams that's up on the ringer.com today that everybody should check out. And Charks had, had a paragraph in there about like right now, Patrick Williams isn't a great scorer. He's a good scorer. He's not a great defender. He's a good defender. He's not a great passer. He's a good passer. And Teams look at that in this year's draft and they see somebody who's the youngest player in the draft with his size, with his overall skill set as somebody that could grow and continue down that path and become perhaps the best overall player in the draft class. I've also raised Patrick Williams on my latest big board, which will be out, I think, Thursday on the Ringers 2020 NBA draft guide. I had him like 15, 16 for the large part of the year. But reevaluating him, the more I hear about him as a person with his work ethic, 
how much he wants to get better. And, you know, from what people say, he has improved since the college season ended. He hasn't worked out for any teams, but teams do believe he has improved his shot, which was improved from his high school year to his freshman year as well. So he's already on a trajectory of improvement. And I'm going to have him ranked somewhere in my top eight, top 10 uh, with the big board update on Thursday, because this is a guy who checks a lot of boxes in a year with a lot of question marks. It reminds me, there's actually two Carolina guys that this applies to that I remember, and they were always a little bit hard, but I'm saying like the whole didn't play a million minutes, but were what ended up being drafted highly. Like they didn't play a million minutes on their college team for whatever reason. Brandon Wright years ago for North Carolina and Ed Davis years ago for North Carolina. I mean, it's a some extent. I mean, like, and and we've seen guys like this because sometimes it's like the guys that play. Typically, if you're awesome in college, like you're playing 35 minutes. But sometimes teams play you 20 something minutes your first year, and then your next year is because they want you to come back for another year. Like honestly, but I mean, Brandon Wright, this happened to. If you go back and look, didn't play a million minutes in college. Ed Davis, like th- those kind of. Longer, lanky, like a lot of potential, but you didn't see it all the way in college. Um, and then they end up, you know, going in the top 10 of the NBA draft. And so it's happened before. Sure. You know, and those it. guys, they ended up being solid NBA players, but not stars. You know what? And with Patrick Williams, I was one of the first to report like maybe about a month ago that the Pistons really liked him at the seventh pick. There was conversation about him at the eighth pick uh, for the Knicks. I mean, there's conversation now that he could go number four to Chicago. I mean, he could go that high. I would expect his range to be somewhere in the four to eight range. Wow. I, I can't I can't see. I mean, maybe he drops. I know San Antonio likes him at number 11. They have a number of guys that they like their Jada McDaniels too. They, it seems like San Antonio may be targeting one of these bigger, longer wings who have a lot of room to grow. Both Patrick Williams and Jada McDaniels fit that profile. And if the Spurs like a guy... Hey, a lot of people should like a guy, and that's been floating out there for a while, but I'd be surprised if he were to fall to 11 at this point based off what we're hearing this past week about where he could go. The most fascinating thing to me is that the teams that are at the very top of this draft are not miserable teams, right? There's different lottery odds, and so like the truly terrible teams like the Clevelands, like the Detroits, like the Knicks, those teams are farther down in the draft. And so, but they're the ones that could benefit the most by having, you know, by moving up in this draft and like, they need it. <laughs> they need a savior. I don't know if yeah. there is a savior, but I what I'm saying either. is, but what I'm saying is, um, them possibly moving up to one of those top spots seems to me, you know, because look, it sucks to be terrible for a whole year and then pick seventh if you're Detroit. Like, you've mentioned Detroit a couple times on this. Like, to me, if you're Detroit, move up. I don't know, man. Like, this this year's different. This year's different because those, you know, we're talking about LaMelo, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, all those guys have a lot of questions. And, you know, years from now when we do redrafts in a year, two years, three years, it it would shock nobody if a Patrick Williams is number one. It would shock nobody if a Killian Hayes is number one, or even like a Tyrese Halliburton, we talked about him recently as one of the safer picks in the draft, but if Halliburton's ball handling continues to improve in addition to his reliability on defense, his good spot up shooting, his awesome playmaking, he's a guy that could like in redrafts be a top three pick. And he, by the way, John Hollinger today had him going number four to Chicago. And I don't think that'll happen, but there is a possibility we do see Halliburton go four. He's a, he's the, really the third name that I've heard connected to the Bulls with that fourth pick, Patrick Williams, Denny Avdia, and uh, Tyrese Halliburton. So we'll see where he goes. But to me, you can factor in the strengths and weaknesses of these players, the concerns and the uncertainty with, with them. The sweet spot might actually be like that 6 to 14 range. Re- reason being is also the rookie scale. The number one pick is going to make a lot of money. The number one pick, let's say it's James Wiseman. James Wiseman is going to make more money as a rookie than a lot of good starting centers in the league. And that is something that teams take into consideration with whether to trade up or not to trade up. 
because of the rookie skill and the path that you go down as that deal get, uh, gets larger over the four, first four years during his rookie year, and then perhaps a max contract on the second deal, there is there is incentive to stay in the middle of the lottery rather than trade up. So we'll see how this shakes out on draft night. N- nothing would shock me when it comes to trades, whether it's you know Minnesota and Charlotte flipping spots or whether it's Golden State trading down with a Detroit or a New York. There's a lot on the table, a lot on the table. And one of the things teams do consider, though, is the rookie skill and how much they're going to have to pay some of these players. One, one other note, though, on trades, Chris, Boston seems to be the only team that's really trying to trade up. They have 14, 26 and 30 and they're trying like hell to package those three picks with some other assets together to move up for who I don't know. I haven't been able to put my finger on the player that they're targeting, but for one of those teams in the middle of the lotto to me, that's appealing. Cause again, this is a draft with a lot of good quality role players and maybe guys who pop towards the middle and the back of the first round. To me, that's appealing if you don't love any of the guys in the top seven or top eight. A guy asked me this morning, he's like, who do you think is going to go number one? I said, I, I, th- I still think it's going to be Wiseman. I do. I think when it's all said and done and it, and the dust settles, I think it's going to end up being him. I said, and I, this is what I told him. It might end up being one of those Chris Webber situations, right? Where you get the Chris Webber one, you get the Penny Hardaway three, but then you get the swap that goes between them. So maybe he does end up in Charlotte, actually, but... They take him number one and then they flip, you know, for maybe a guard or whoever it is, you know, that ends up getting drafted third. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Nissan. Level up your next four-wheeled adventure with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, built to navigate you to some of Earth's most awe-inspiring spots with seven drive modes and all the power you need. Get the thrill of the drive in every moment of your journey with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. So I I still kind of think it's going to be wise, but I do want to ask you about uh, a player that I have not heard anybody really talking about in a long time. And it is the guy that was the best of all of them in college basketball. We didn't get to see it play out. So maybe it's Obi, different. If, if, they, if they go, you know, right. Th- this feels to me like the kind of guy that if they got in the tournament and they went to the elite eight and then they went to the final four and maybe he's playing in a title game. It's obviously a massively different conversation than it is right now. But that was stolen away from all these kids. They weren't able to play in that. Um, that Dayton team was awesome, and he was the best player, and he was, throughout the year, the best player in college basketball, and it started, I remember, in Maui. It was the first time I heard about him, and I saw people tweeting about him. I flipped on those games, and I'm like, Jesus, who is this guy? I mean, he just, he was so clearly the best player on the floor. So now we've got this guy who was the best player in college basketball, by, I think, a decent margin. I don't know who was the second best player in college basketball, but he was the best. And I hadn't heard a damn thing about him in forever. And I have, I think it's like all over the map. Have you heard anything on Obi Topin, who ended up being the best player in college basketball in a year that was just so insanely strange and didn't get to finish? I, I know teams in the top five like him. 
I'm not sure if a Minnesota or a Golden State would take him one or two. Um, I'm sure the preference would be to trade down. Nothing would shock me. I mean, we saw Anthony Bennett go number one in 2013, which came as a shocker to everybody on draft night. Something like that could happen this year with like a top and going number one or number two. Who knows? But, you know, I do think Cleveland at number five, based on the latest information that I've heard, that they like Denny Avdia, who I mentioned Chicago also likes. Golden State likes Denny Avdia too. Cleveland seems to like Toppin and Avdia for that fifth pick. And if they were to take Obi Toppin, that's adding another big guy on top of Andre Drummond and, and Kevin Love and Larry Nance. And maybe you bring back Tristan Thompson as well. So they have, they have some moves to make to shake that up. Uh, so we'll see what happens there if they take Toppin. But ultimately with him, man, there's no denying Obi is a special offensive player for a player his size. He looks like Amare Stoudemire. You saw him play. He can leap out of the gym, finish with power at the rim. He can finish with finesse and touch. He can shoot threes. He can reliably attack a closeout and do a little bit off the dribble for you. I mean, there is so much to like from him on the offensive end of the floor. The question is the defense. He is a vertical athlete, a north-south player, but he doesn't move very well east-west. Yeah. He doesn't have the lateral quickness on a switch. He doesn't look great, not necessarily even big enough against a true big like a Jokic. So he's a bit of a modern tweener in that sense. But if a team brings him in for workouts, if a teams feel like with their strength and conditioning programs that they can make him passable on defense, passable is all he needs to be because his offense is going to be a significant impact from day one. He, he's a solid bet to win rookie of the year, by the way. If you want to place a bet, Obi Toppin probably has some good odds on him. <laughs> he's yeah. going to put up numbers. But it feels a little Rui Hachimuria. You know what I mean? Like he, it, nah, it, it, I that, mean, he's, yeah. he's way more skilled on offense than Rui, though. Well, way here, more skilled. Here's what I will say. I talked to two different talent evaluators that wanted nothing to do with him. Which I thought was strange. What was so, the reasoning? I'm curious. Just not the. He's he's not. He's not going to be an NBA star. So why are we mm. talking about him that high? Like he's because of the defense. Yeah. Yes, and that he is. Some knocked the age. Right. Of course oh, he was all. On. No, but I mean, like, uh, of course he's better than everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is one thing, right? The other, the other is that I'm sick, I'm sick of the ageism in the draft. That I'm because of, of the size, the, the, it was really for the most part, it's the size, and he's not a guy that's just gonna, that gonna bang down a ton of shots. Everybody wants shooters now. He shot forty two percent from three in college, and I know it's only a hundred and three jump shots. It's so only low, only hundred and three shots. That's and, low. That's low. You know, but that. that's promising. And by the way, I mean like. That is one of the source of sources of fear that I get when I talk to, to people around the league too. They they have questions about not just the defense. Everybody, even Dayton fans, who <laughs> I said this to Titus and Tate last week when I was on their podcast. <laughs> I get more tweets about Obi Toppin from Dayton fans than anybody, than any other prospect, than any NBA player. I get more about Obi Toppin because I have him ranked like 11th on my board, and and, and like the reason why is not just the defense, but also. There's no guarantee with the jumper. He shot only 70% from the free throw line, free throw percentage being a more, uh, a stronger indicator of future three-point shooting success in the NBA. So there is concern that the shot isn't for real. And if it's not, that changes a well, lot about who he is. And you can go, you can go to a local gym and you could go to your local Lifetime Fitness and you can find a guy that bangs down college threes. It's not that hard of a shot. It's really not. It's really not it, uh, the college uh, making the college three <laughs> at a high rate is not impressive to me. It is a radically different shot shooting NBA threes at, at a high level. It just is. It's I mean, like shooting it shots is. at an open gym is totally different, but like, you know, compared no, I'm to saying in, running in up and game, down the court, there's also a lot of college kids that could destroy you from the three point line. Yeah. I, I with top and though, I feel some, I feel some confidence. Okay. In his shot, I think he 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 tends to make good decisions. I don't think he fall he hasn't fallen in love with his jumper. He still likes to play inside and attack the rim, and that's his priority. And you know, at 22 years old, you know, I understand. I I understand why somebody would want to go with a younger player, and, and like I would too. I have him ranked 11th on my board. 
You know, I don't have him as a top five pick like some people do. But with Toppin, the age I don't look at as quite as much as the pure skill that okay. he has and the potential. Two things. First, um, I I think that the reason I brought him up is because if he ended up being awesome, it would be hilarious to me to be one of those. Yeah, what the hell was everybody watching? Like, this guy was obviously awesome. We just <laughs> yeah. watched him in college basketball kill everybody, and you overthought it, and you took guys that were sixth men on other teams because they had more potential than the guy you already saw was awesome. I I, I, I am always the defender of the older guys. I find that the NBA gets incredibly ageist when it comes to the NBA draft. Number two, I will back you up completely on your Dayton talk. Dayton made it all the way to the uh, the Sweet 16, the lead eight, um, and that their pod was in Memphis. Kevin, I have been all over this country to the NCAA tournament over the last several years, and Kentucky obviously takes over arenas. The most impressed by a fan base I've ever been in my <laughs> life was Dayton. That's when uh, Archie Miller was there and was coaching them, and. I mean, they took over an arena and they were the loudest. It was a sea of red. It was like the entire city had come to support that basketball team. And I I guess it was just my, it was just the immense surprise of it all when you walk in the arena and you're like, oh my God, it was like they were frigging Duke or Carolina or Kentucky or somebody like that. I mean, they took over the arena and were the loudest. I mean, it was unbelievable. Absolutely, positively unbelievable. So shout out to Dayton. I am yeah. unsurprised that they are that invested with a player that has a chance to go that high because it's been a long time for them. It's pretty cool because... <laughs> oh, they love <laughs> that team, man. I, I, I love it. I mean, I appreciate the passion. When, when the draft guide first launched... I had like right now, if you look at the guy, the, the shades of comparisons that I have for Toppin are Amari Stoudemire, Kyle Kuzma, and bouncy Marcus Morris. When the guide first launched, I had Amari Stoudemire on offense, Julia Okafor on defense. Oh, no. And, and, and Dayton. Oh, no. Oh, and, no. And Dayton fans were all over me you for that. You should just put traffic cone. Traffic cone on defense. <laughs> and, and, you know, I changed that because, I mean, it, it wasn't as accurate as I would like it to be. I think Kuzma, Kuzma is a more accurate comparison for him. Kuzma. A fine defender, yeah. not a lockdown defender, but that's what you hope he becomes. A fine defensive player and somebody who has that Amari Stoudemire style offensive impact for your team in the modern NBA. I like him, man. I like him. The defensive impact is why I have him behind some of the other guys like an Okoro or a James Wiseman or an Okongwu because I feel better about what those guys can be on the defensive end of the floor as big players on, on your defense. The top 10 player on, and let's go with your draft board that's going to come out on Thursday. So we won't, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but pull up your draft board that you have sent into the ringer that is going to come out on Thursday, okay? Look at what you are going to send to the ringer on Thursday. And of those top 10 players, and I, I'm, I'm a GM, and I call you. And I say, Kevin, of the guys that you have in your top 10, who would you be most scared to draft if you were me? I mean, if it's like top three, Lamelo. No, any. Top 10. Top 10 players in the draft. In your, on your list, who would you be most scared of? I'll give you two names, one top five guy, one like five to 10 range. Okay. Top five guy, LaMelo, for all the reasons we talked about with the jump shot, with the defensive impact. Um, I mean, there's there's fear there and everything you mentioned as well, like the Facebook show and all that as well, all these off-court variables. That off-the-court stuff matters. It I just matter, yeah. I, just, I don't want hassle out of my rookie. Rookies are supposed to be going getting everybody donuts and carrying our bags. Not 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 bitching not a bitching about me on a reality show. Maybe that's old school, but I'm sorry. Yeah. And then the other guy, I would say Isaac Okoro, which is a weird one to say. Uh, and, and with Okoro, I, I have no doubt, no doubt that he's going to be a really good defensive player. Really good with his body, with his length, with his mindset. It's Justice Winslow-esque, where I loved Winslow in his draft year. I had him, I think, second on my board. But 
Winslow's jumper has never really panned out to the level it needs. So it's gotten better, but he's still not a knockdown guy. And with Okoro, last year, his freshman year at Auburn, he would pass up open jumpers. He'd pass up open jumpers, Chris. Do you like him better than I loved Chuma last year? The kid that Orlando took that bust his ACL. I loved him. The oh, Auburn kid. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, people forget about him. Yeah, no. Pe- people That's why I told you him. I think they're going to trade Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon is another guy that, you know, I feel like this has been reported already, but Orlando is having conversations with teams about, about trading him. He can't they have for years. I, I remember I told you a couple weeks ago, it's math. If, if Fournier's picking up his option, like, you don't, you ain't got a choice on that. So now what? Now I'm paying both of them? No, I can't. I can't. We'll see what happens there with Fournier, too. I mean, there, there could be a lot of movement with Orlando. But um, with Okoro, I mean, I, I loved Aaron Gordon, too. I love Justice Winslow. I, I, I have a thing, apparently, for, for players who can clearly defend at a high level but have questions about their jumpers. And that's why with Okoro, I have him 10th on my board. That I, I think he's going to stay in that 10th spot in the update. And, and, <laughs> I love and you saying I, that. Cause, no, because I think I was thinking about this the other day. There's a couple of things. Draymond, and obviously that we went through a phase where people were like, ooh, he could be the next Draymond. And then everybody realized, like, yo, you can't be the next Draymond. Draymond is a unicorn like other guys are unicorns in the sense that you're not finding a guy that is that height with that wingspan that rebounds, passes, dribbles, shoots, everything that he does and can facilitate an offense and be a perfect piece to play outside of start. Like, everybody was searching, like, oh, he could try to be like that. Like, that's it was so unfair to so many kids. But I, have, I was having this. Uh, it's not a thesis. It was a thought. That Kawhi and the thesis was that Kawhi Leonard ruined this for so many guys, so many guys that are never going to be good offensively. He ruined it because he made you believe that the elite defensive guy, you could one day look up and he could score like Michael Jordan in the freaking playoffs. And it's like if we just, if we just fix him, right? And there's part of me that sits there and goes like, all right, how many guys has that actually been the case with? Besides him, right? The guy that was offensively not, certainly not polished, but also like it was going to take a lot of work. And people just said, okay, it's going to take a lot of work, but if it works, and like it has with him, but it hasn't with a lot of guys. With most guys, at best, they reach like an average level as a shooter. And that's why I think with Okoro – you know, when I when I talk to people around the league, agents and execs about how this draft could fall, you know, you know, Edwards, Wiseman, Ball, these guys are going to go somewhere in the top six or seven, you know, all of them. I mean, like maybe top three or four. Avdi is going to go somewhere in there. Toppin's going to go somewhere in there. Halliburton's going to go somewhere in there. And Okongwu probably will too. That's seven guys. And where do guys like a Killian Hayes go? Where does somebody like an Isaac Okoro go? There, and I didn't even mention Patrick Williams, who's another variable to throw in there too. There's questions with Okoro maybe falling to the back of the lottery. And this is somebody who people, including me, projected him at one point to Cleveland at five or even Chicago at four. And now maybe he falls out of the top 10. And like if you're a team like San Antonio, I mentioned they like Jaden McDaniels. I mentioned that they like Patrick Williams, who Williams probably isn't going to be there. Uh, I believe they like Sadiq Bay too at that 11 spot. If you're San Antonio, can you work the same magic with Isaac Okoro that you did with Kawhi? There's got to be some appeal because of what he brings to you on defense, what he brings to you with his character and his work ethic, what he brings to you as a decision maker. He understands his game. He doesn't make dumb decisions on the floor. He's a smart player. Really the only concern is what level does his jump shot reach? And that's a big question mark for any player in any position in today's league. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you about a kid that you wrote about this week and a very good piece about Tyrell Terry out of Stanford. Um, it seems to me that you were a guy that liked his game. You didn't have any connection to Tyrell Terry. You'd never talked to Tyrell Terry ever in your life, right? Um, until you were getting ready to do this profile about him because you were intrigued by watching him play. And then you talk to him, and I sense just by talking to you off the air too, you fell even more in love with him once you talked to the kid. Absolutely, and that's what teams have done as well. I fell in love with him more 
after talking to him because it's sort of like what you mentioned with the stuff about personality and those variables bringing bringing in a guy to your team where you want somebody who's low maintenance. You want somebody who plays their role and accepts their role and plays at a high level. And, and Tyrell Terry does that. And, you know, when I first, you know, evaluated him back when I was doing my first initial big board, I had him ranked top 10. I had him eighth on my board. He's still eighth on my board at this point. But when that big board dropped, I got more texts and more calls from agents, from executives, from scouts about my evaluation of him than anybody. And almost every single person except for one said to me, like, he should go back to school or that he should be a second round pick at this stage because he was so light, six foot two, barefoot, 160 pounds after leaving Stanford. But one person, you know, said to me, I feel like this is warranted because he's going to have the ability to put on muscle. The skill is overwhelming. And he has gained 10 pounds of muscle, you know, uh, since the end of, end of the college season with, as I detail in, a, in the story, a 4,000 calorie a day diet, you know, doing weights and all that stuff. It's improved his vertical. It's improved his athleticism, which is evident in the video. It's evident in the teams that have worked him out that I've talked with. Um, with Terry, the shooting ability is the number one skill. And he's somebody who can get you a bucket off screens, off of relocations. He knows how to move without the ball. And he's very good with the ball on his hands, too. His ball handling does continue, does need to continue improving. Um, at Stanford, I noted this in my draft guide, he only really took pull-up threes, like just pull-ups. He didn't take a lot of any step backs, any side dribble threes, the type of shots that you see, yeah. like Tatum takes that side dribble three sure. all the time. Harden, Luca take that step back. You never saw that from Terry. And I, when I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, I asked him, I was like, I tend to only see pull-ups from you. Like, are you working on other moves from three? And he's like, yeah, I'm working on step backs. I'm working on side dribbles. I, I asked him team to send me some video. I wanted the proof. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the shot looks good. Obviously it's in an open gym, but the handle looks better. It looks tighter. It looks lower. The footwork looks good, which he's always had good footwork. And so, you know, you package the shooting and the scoring skill together with somebody who's a really smart playmaker who plays hard on defense despite the fact he's undersized, who's like an awesome kid. He's just a great kid. Like that's somebody I'd want to bet on to maximize whatever he's going to be. Is that a star player? Maybe. I think with that ability to create and to score and to create plays for others, I think there is star potential there for sure. Um, but at worst, I think he's going to be a really good player who impacts winning for your team and, and provides a spark for you. And is that a good player to have in the locker room? So for me, like Terry is undoubtedly a top 10 pick. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he goes late lottery. I know there's teams that are digging around, you know, doing their due diligence perhaps with him, but whether he goes in the teens or whether he goes low twenties to me, he's going to end up being one of the steals of the draft. All right. Uh, we are not far away. In fact, it'll be a week from tomorrow when there is the upcoming NBA draft. We'll talk more about the NBA draft with J. Kyle Mann and Jonathan Charts on Friday. And surely with that moratorium ending, uh, there's going to be a ton of free agency and trade news that we will get to uh, coming up this uh, Friday also. Kevin, I'll talk to you then. It's going to be a fun next week. Man, yeah. Uh, thanks to producer Sasha, as always, and we will talk to you on Friday.